One last text. Ready. <sighs> guys ready to do this thing? Ready. There's usually some funny, witty banter that happens beforehand, some random it's conversation. pretty early for me in podcast terms. <laughs> so. I, don't, I don't have it yet, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we'll just cold open, baby. <laughs> I'm in the mood to be slow and careful. My body's ready for a mountain climb. All of a sudden, it will all become lovely. The flower that opens in the morning light. Um, today's going to be a fun one. Today, we have a um, longtime friend of mine, personally, somebody I've worked with for a long time before, that is now um, a Bissell Brothers employee here at Three Rivers. Joe Robbins is the chef up here in Milo in the kitchen that was opened this summer, been open for a few months. Five months the, to be exact. Five months. <laughs> the man's keeping track. Um, Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for taking the time this morning to sit down and talk with us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. indeed, ma'am. How much do you love being asked uh, to give up 90 minutes on the morning of dropping a new menu for the change <laughs> of the season? How much you love that? Well, I was thinking about this morning, uh, comparing it to... Our uh, our opening day, <laughs> where we were, we asked you to do our... a podcast that day too, right? Uh, <laughs> you were like, no. <laughs> uh, well, if we do the quick rundown, as uh, an inspection, as well as because the kitchen hadn't been open, all of our contractors were like to the last minute of getting everything finished so that we could get going. Gas was just turned on. I think what two days before, <laughs> um, we basically prepped an entire menu in two days. Uh, yeah, it was a rough one. So this isn't that bad. I think that this continues the continues the precedent of setting you up for success and putting you in yeah in well, situations to thrive. We always like to have it like just about to go off the rails. Mm-hmm. That that fun little that's Milo baby right that's there. Right. Yeah, hanging on for dear life and out of that pressure, forming diamonds and exercising degrees of tension. What? <laughs> there, there's healthy tension and there's unhealthy tension, and we're in a constant. We're just trying to figure out that line to you figure know? out yeah. where that line is. Um, but truly, maybe that's a. We have so much to talk about today. Um, obviously, me and you have kind of rekindled is a stupid word that usually um, kind of brings in romance to it. I mean, it's romantic but, enough. <laughs> but over the over the last few months, we've gotten incredibly close. Obviously, working on all this, we talk almost every single day. Um, and we have a lot to talk about today, but I think the thing right in front of us and the nice thing to settle into the conversation with is the menu change. Yeah. Um, could talk a little bit about just the things that are happening in your mind when you're developing menu, um, specifically is related to what's right in front of you. We've got change of the season from summer to fall, um, kind of had a, like you said, five months to see what's working on a menu, what isn't, develop process around that in the kitchen from the execution standpoint, and then you roll into switching it up, keeping it fresh, what goes, what stays, and why. What are you thinking about today as you unveil a new menu? Uh, I'd say the big thing would be um, things that we've learned here is that people people in Milo cook much more than, you know, if you're to cook in like a city or an area that's got way more restaurants, you mm-hmm. have these um, diners that may might go to two or three different restaurants a week or may go to your restaurant three times a week. Mm-hmm. So they kind of just developed this palette for what you do or what other people do. And there's this, that's where that really competitive end of, uh, of cooking get it 
gets going. Mm. Um, here, obviously, there there isn't that. There's a pizza, a couple pizza places, and us. Yeah, and um, so we just have to not be pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Step one, except for when they ask. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but no, getting getting close to the locals, um, learning what they enjoy, and and you know what they're taking their input seriously um, has been fun. Certainly, um, when you have those conversations, when you realize, oh, they're they're much more knowledgeable about food than you would think. Um, be, you know, because of the lack of, of restaurants, you kind of assume like, oh, well, there's, there's less knowledge around food, but it's like, well, no, they're actually preparing some of these things that are on our menu themselves on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So you have these conversations of like, oh, well, do you use this in yours or do you use that? Or is this the technique you use? And it's like, oh, I'm a professional chef, but they know as much as I do in a, in a weird way. Um, so keeping that in mind, it's like, if we do something like, you know, I'll tease one of the new men- yeah, menu Yeah, talk items. about it. Uh, we're doing meatloaf. Obviously, there's probably no household in Milo that has that doesn't do meatloaf on a regular basis. Oh, it's yeah. pretty basic. <laughs> no it's, way. Yeah. Um, so in some ways, it's like, okay, well, everybody will like this. But everybody's also going to have a certain way that they do it, and they love it that way. And <laughs> yeah. It's going to be- and, You know and, what you need to do? Exactly. Yeah. You'll get a lot of that, which is great. You know, it's always food for thought. Uh, but it's kind of like we know that- this group of people is going to like it. Um, it does incorporate a few things that we currently use, like our gravy that we use for uh, poutine. It's the same gravy. Um, and then last, what, two weeks ago, we did Oktoberfest. So we used uh, a parsnip potato puree, which is uh, paired with this. Mm-hmm. People seem to love that. We sold out, what, the third day or the second day. I of, personally loved it, yeah. Um, so, you know, we test the waters a little bit, and I think – that's the cool thing about doing the small events up here is like we can put something on and if it doesn't sell, it's no, you know, it's a one day thing or a two day mm-hmm. thing um, makes us very agile instead of like a bigger restaurant that's got more employees, more foot traffic, more, more eyes on it. Maybe there's like, if you put something on the menu, there's an expectation. And if it quickly comes off, there's like maybe a inkling of, oh, well, that wasn't that good. Mm-hmm. Or it was too expensive to do, or you know, people's minds go wild of why that happens. I think doing it so tight knit in the way we do, um, we have the opportunity to tell the story of why, when, how, all that stuff. A little more freedom. A little more freedom. Um, and you know, we have the time to work on it and and make it better if it needs to be. Um, or just rewrite the script and do something different is what we're doing now. Mm-hmm. So um, I do want to get more into the menu too, but you just said one thing I want to uh, touch on real quick about, cause I totally relate in a different way of that sort of process of calibrating when people's feedback, cause yeah. obviously, like you say, as a profession, a professional that's doing something when the, you know, proverbial, like random person, quote, you know, quote unquote comes up and it can be, it can, it was a process for me to kind of figure out how to handle that, I guess, like getting just sort of criticism yeah, yeah. or just oh, yeah. whatever, just input from someone that on the surface, like has no right giving me input. But then as that's as the creator, but then on the other side, it's like they have all the right in the world. They're the only, they're the one paying for it. Exactly. Um, so has, was that a, pro- cause here it's such a small place. You're, so close to anyone can talk to you if yeah. they if they want so yeah, I'm so approachable <laughs> has that been a process for you to kind of 
take that take that well, I guess, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, well, first off, I, for anybody that hasn't been to Milo, Maine, mm. uh, we're a two person kitchen, uh, six person staff mm-hmm. in total. So obviously we're all approachable. Um, Except me. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> Unless you're Bill Hall. Is Noah back there? No, he's not here today. Yeah. I saw the Tacoma. Nope. <laughs> That's his dad. That's his dad. It didn't have the sticker. No, he took it off. Heard I'm seven layers deep, times. baby. We can do this. Keep going. I got something. <laughs> but but yeah, uh, definitely in the beginning, um, as most people are, especially when you're creating something that's that's truly you on a plate. Um, there's a defensiveness, there is a pride, there's a, um, a reluctancy to be like, well, I'm doing it my way, like mm-hmm. take it or leave it. Um, so yeah, it, you take it in stride. Uh, there's certain, as you have these conversations with people, there's definitely the, there's some people that certainly would, would make, make a comment or, a um, critique and there's and even to this day, there's there's certain people or certain customers, not a singular person, but that type mm-hmm. that you're certainly not going to please. And there's probably not a whole lot of worth of energy to just be like, oh, well, we're going to do it this way because so and so wants this. Um, but to take all that info in and be like, OK, well, we can approach it this way and still be true to what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you see that with beer a lot with people are like, oh, well, I don't like this one. It has hops. It's like, well, yeah, <laughs> it's beer. Yeah. Um, I've always been in the mindset of like, if you're taking advice from anybody, um, certainly take it, but look to where that person's like success is or isn't. And it's like, okay, well, I'll take that a bit of advice because they've done X, Y, and Z and I want to do X, Y, and Z as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's probably not a great answer, but <laughs> no, it's, it's, a, it's no. not even, it's, uh, yeah, there is no particular answer for it for me. I, I think for for me i i think a lot of it's almost more the biggest takeaway i've had is cumulatively over time if you're willing to have the conversations with the people that raise whatever there is a a, a cumulative amount of respect you gain and and sometimes yeah. over time you realize like Oh, this is almost just a game we play, kind of. Yeah. Like this person shows up, keeps showing up. Yeah. Like clearly they don't loathe this stuff. Yeah. Or like Yeah. So I mean, I guess as that conversation continues for me, it's like, um, sometimes my explanation of like somebody asks, like, you know, why do you do this this way? And they say, like, you know, when I do it at home, I do X, Y, and Z. It's like, well, yeah, but you're cooking for four to five people. I'm cooking for a hundred people a day. Yeah. So think about it that way and how you execute that. And I'm also cooking 20 other items on a menu alongside of that. So yes, um, it may not be the way that you would think because of, you know, our menu is fairly, um, I'd say modern comfort food, I guess is how we yeah. might describe yeah. it. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Um, Especially probably the new menu. Yeah, Leaning for even sure. more into that, yeah. For sure. Um, so there's definitely, there there is that process that people have deep, deep in their, their psyche of like, um, you know, every holiday they might make this dish and that's yep. how they do it. Two or three people get around a table and, and make it or around a stove. Um, so I think sometimes explaining that to people, they're like, oh, and then it pops in their head of like, well, I didn't think of it that way. Cause when I'm here, you know, say on a Thursday night when it's locals mainly, um, you know, there's 10 people in the building at a time or something like that. They're like, oh, well, 
you know, it's not that busy. Why can't they do this? Or why can't, you know, there, there's this whole thing. And, and as you explain, as you, as they see you there and day after day after day and see how many hours you put in, see how much of that, um, you know, will to do this stuff is in, then they have that, that like you said, that respect, that mutual, yeah. like, and you still get the back and forth. We have that fun. Um, certainly some of the locals, like last week, we, did our first secret menu item where we were doing nachos because uh, <laughs> <laughs> somebody was very vocal about their want yeah, and need for nachos. Yeah. But, and then when it made sense, right. When we had something left over from Oktoberfest and the, the things made sense, go, I'll let you finish, yeah. but I get excited. Uh, so watching about talking about it. The fun thing was, I was like, let's not tell anybody it's on the menu except for people we know that are, that will go to it. And it was like, the first one goes out. And then I just see tickets going nacho, nacho, nacho. I was like, <laughs> this was supposed to be a secret. Like we, it looks like we put a billboard. That's what with nachos I said too of. about animal style, dude. They started with so little of that sauce. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, you know, I want to continue that that thing of um, certainly uh, showing the the locals some respect and and doing those things that they really get up about, um, as well as trying to make this a place that. People are willing to take the drive from Bang or take the, the drive from Portland, um, you know, and and see what it's all about up here. Yeah. Can I, um, because I was a third party to that. Can I speak to that a tiny bit yeah, too? Because sometimes it's hard to say as yourself to, to that original question you posed about customer feedback and, and that kind of stuff. Um, I was kind of sit, I was hypersensitive to the fact what we were really doing in, in a pretty large way was replacing somebody who cooked in this town and had a big story and had run a restaurant here and was very active in the town and is a personality. That being Val Robertson, who does yep. an incredible job. Shout out Val. And, exactly. And she had kind of really built the food program for us and given it a legitimacy that on top of food trucks. And we kind of got it going to the point where now we need to bring it in-house to yep. continue to grow this. So I was hypersensitive to the fact of kind of this local outsider thing that you already have to play with the tensions in a place like this already. And so I, I kind of, as Joe came in, um, A, we spent this whole summer getting the kitchen ready, felt like I'd almost kind of had a little bit of neglect to like my front of house staff a little bit or to get this kitchen open, me and Joe. Then you replace Val. Joe comes in under the circumstances that we talked about at the <laughs> beginning, pass inspection, open on Memorial Day weekend and just get destroyed all day. Second day and get destroyed again and very quickly tighten Humpty that. Dumpty situation. Tight, I picked it back up and got <laughs> oh, yeah. right to it. It was incredible. But I knew, Joe, you know, you know, Joe can do that. Yeah. That's part of the the magic of why he's Joe and why he's here. But um, in terms of that customer feedback thing, I was quick to bounce back to my front of house side that it kind of now we're open, we're in the summer. They have to do all this new stuff because there's a kitchen here that really bounced on their side and was very kind of already seeing where a customer might have expected something from Val or seen something different and was hyper attuned to that and kind of really put Joe through the ringer a bit about that kind of feedback and was, I think, maybe overly transparent, kind of communicating, every, hey, we heard this, hey, we heard that, just kind of shoveling that to joe you and, probably um, love that yeah exactly oh, yeah. <laughs> probably yeah. too much especially i literally i remember there was one day 
um, like talking with Britt after like getting that. I was like, so obvious stuff we learned here. Da da da. Let's not, today's not the day to talk about it. You know what I mean? We, everybody got crushed. Da da da. We'll we'll settle in, have a good day tomorrow, and then we'll talk to Joe about it. And then me in my true fashion, four minutes later, couldn't like get to talking to Joe. And, <laughs> and, blah, 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 and they said this and they said that and let it all out. But um, within a matter of weeks and very quick, Joe, I think there was an initial little bit of you know. Um, defense that goes up kind of getting all that and within a just no time whatsoever watch joe kind of climb over that in two really masterful ways one taking it without getting like super emotional about it or any of that stuff but then number two doing a very good objective job of like this is where i'm confident and why we're doing what we're doing and i'm not going to make any compromise about this but i'm and I'm not going to fight with that right now. I'm going to kind of show them over the next month or two why. Mm. And I'm going to take my opportunity when it's there to sit the staff down, talk to the staff. This is why we're doing this. You you need to communicate this better. But not just like, you need to communicate this better. It was a masterful way of doing that over time in the right way. And frankly, I learned a lot about kind of management and those things of watching that happen in the first two months. Um, and just uh, uh, hard to say yourself for, for me over here, when it came to taking feedback, um, fuck, did you do it well? And I, I learned <laughs> a lot from watching you do that. Uh, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, and I kind of on that feedback, I mean, I, to get back to where we started mm -hmm. about um, maybe if we want to dive in a little harder into some of the menu changes. Mm -hmm. Um, just cause it's an interesting context of like, okay, you have, uh, four or five months of sort of data to, yeah. to build off certainly the seasonal shift. Um, yeah. in however you want to, uh, wherever you want to go with it, um, how would you describe that menu as having changed in response to uh, the sort of input? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, some of it is, is like you said, the seasonality of it. Um, we did a lot of barbecue obviously this summer. Um, coming into the colder months as well as just the way snow can come around here. Uh, it doesn't really make sense for me to hang out outside by a smoker all day. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> the juice for the squeeze is not great there. <laughs> Obviously, you the have cuts... been hanging out with Matt. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, you know, the cuts of meat that we were cooking are, are on the more expensive side. Um, so obviously when we know summer's here and we're going to get however many feet over the threshold there you know, it's, it's a no brainer to do as well as, you know, if you get groups of people that have no problem spending $60, $70 for dinner, um, you know, that's one thing, um, come this time of year, mm -hmm. I think everybody's budget gets a little, little less. Um, Meat smell doesn't travel as well in winter. Yeah. Either, yeah. That, you know. that, not enough, not enough humidity. <laughs> yeah, yes. to carry that. That's right. It's very right. thin. Um, plus, you know, it's to me, I feel like any time, especially with food, um, the word stale comes up a lot. Like, I don't, I don't like doing the same thing all the time. I think that's, that is when you become like a factory over a restaurant. Mm. Um, so, you know, making that switch up sometimes, even when you do something very well consistently over a long amount of time, that's when you're that much reluctant to do any changes to it. So when you take that break, I think coming back, like coming back next spring, when we do bring back barbecue, we'll come back with some new thoughts and new ideas. Um, you'll have that time to reflect on like, oh, well, what we, could we do differently? Totally. That's A, better for the customer, B, um, more executable for us. There was definitely 
times this summer where it's like, if all these adjustments that Matt just kind of referred to had been made previously, like those flawless times that we could have, could have had when it was a very busy day, had we known, um, those will come into play as well. Uh, as far as the, the new menu, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it is, you know, we have snowmobilers coming through, we have, um, you know, the leaf peepers leap or well, that's kind of on on the mend. At the I feel moment, like but. that's been a myth, <laughs> like the leaf uh, peeping crowd. I don't. I don't know. I would say le- I last year was the year that I saw it. Prior, I would have said the same. Then last year we really saw it. I thought um, people that was you're like, what are you doing here? They're um, like, yeah, yeah. I'm peeping leaves. I'm peeping leaves is what I'm doing, <laughs> sir. Um, and then this year, I think to, to what Joe's speaking to from a like. From a weather standpoint, it's not as big or as bold yeah. as it has been in the past because of the lack of rain. And then I haven't seen as much of it this year. Yeah. Um. I guess I've just seen less talk about it. That's what I, maybe. from a customer standpoint, yeah. I've seen. Um, you need a lot of rain for foliage to pop. Is that what you mean? That's what I'm learning it's this certainly, year. I it's think. certainly better for it. I think if the rain had came um, like early September, then all the trees are that much healthier and they have that much longer. Ice to uh-huh. survive when cold hits. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, but you know, we got fragile trees this year. Yeah, man. They, they turn quick there. and they go. Yeah. Yeah. So I haven't, so I haven't, you, you did a, um, sort of walkthrough of the menu with, uh, the, the crew yesterday. Yes. Um, yeah. I was busy getting bottles prepped, so I did not sit in on that, but, um, so yeah, went, went through the whole menu. Yeah. Like, I, I think we can, by the time this is this is out, you will have run the menu, right? Yeah. So yeah, we can, running it it's today. not like a secret, right? That's no, 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 no. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, talk since Except I have nachos. since Can't I literally haven't that. seen it. Um, talk about specifically some of the new items on there be, right. beyond the meatloaf. So the new the new salad is a uh, roasted beet salad. So we're roasting off beets. Um, take half of those beets, slicing them. No the fruit. Somewhere off in the yeah. distance, <laughs> head is tilted. No idea why. <laughs> um, uh, taking the other half, pureeing them with uh, ginger and uh, kind of making it's basically just something a base for everything on the salad to sit on. Um, slices of apples, obviously, are, are a big, big thing this time of year. Mm-hmm. Uh, mixed greens, and then we've basically because we phased out barbecue. Uh, we've brought in pork belly to take place of what used to be kielbasa. Um, so we roast that off. Well, actually, first we cook it in um, green tea, juniper berry, ginger, garlic, and soy sauce. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. Never heard of the green tea. Yeah. As, uh, as a, uh, as a. I, yeah, as I've done a little bit of research lately, I've noticed a lot of um, different, different techniques to using uh, like byproducts of other things. So the, mm. I, I noticed that there was a few restaurants that were using like teas, um, to either cook rice in to cook, which makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Like when it comes to aroma and floral notes mm-hmm. and all those things. Um, so I was like, well, you know that, and there's certainly some, um, I, I don't know the science behind it, but certainly, uh, you know, you hear about like taking certain types of teas for muscle pain. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, if you're cooking a muscle, a literal muscle, <laughs> I mean, what's to say that doesn't tenderize it in some way? That's loose, a great that's, loose science, but I love it. That's a yeah. really interesting, but also hyper like obvious way to look at it. Right. That I well, never it's practical. Yeah. Um, again, it may not do anything. However, 
the pork belly's tender as shit. So yeah. I yeah. To me, that's the proof right yep. there. Is it the anti-inflammatory or is I'm it? I'm going to be saying it behind the bar. <laughs> that's right. That much. That's right. What's good? Well, are you in pain today or are you feeling all right? Let's start there. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's that's, a, that's something we've I've played with for quite some time. Uh, never until uh, Oktoberfest. I'd never put it on a menu, but it was something like in the back of my mind. like, oh, I want to get this really right before we just show it to the world. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, we're pretty proud of that one. I think that will turn heads. It's something that you don't see very often, th- that combination of things. And the puree element, having that kind of texture in a salad yeah. to me is, yeah, is it's quite really, different. Overall, um, the whole thing has just about every texture. It's got crunch. It's got, um, like you said, that that creamy puree. Um, love me some creamy. So yeah. Um, the other dish that we're putting on is the wild rice and pork. Um, also served with apples, the pork's roasted in, uh, raised mustard made right here in Maine, mm-hmm. crusted with some herbs. Um, and then the wild rice is just cooked in a vegetable stock. So it, that in itself can be vegan. Um, we seem to have a fair amount of vegetarian, um, customers in the area, which definitely surprised me from the beginning, but surprising um, me right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it's with that, uh, we removed a few items that were vegetarian, so we definitely wanted to replace it with some others that could possibly, you know, like the salad itself. You take the pork belly off, and it's vegan, yeah. gluten-free. Um, checks a few boxes for us. Being smaller and a little more nimble, we'd certainly got to be um, conscious of all that. Like um, the ability to cater. You're right, yeah. right. Because um, I, you know, I'm myself not a vegetarian, but I I also hate the, the restaurant that can't, that you know, oh, well, we have a salad or, oh, we have a bean burger or like the very basic, very like, yeah, cliche yeah. things that it is offered. Um, it just show it, it's like a it shows laziness, really, at yep. the end of the day. And, and if you're doing it in the right way, it can be cost effective for us and it can just be a, a smart way for us to prep things as well. Mm-hmm. As far as another vegetarian item, uh, something we have ran before, uh, chump change, which is a play on a chicken sandwich that has absolutely no chicken in it at all. Um, that will be coming back on the menu as well. And talk about that one a little bit. Cause that, that gave me some insight into sort of how your brain works yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in a kit in a kit and only in the good way. Cause I have not, I don't have the background with you that Matt yeah, does. Yeah. So I'm kind of still getting to know you. Um, certainly getting to know the way you work. Um, and yeah, I, you were stoked as hell on that. It was delicious but it was almost like the anti-frozen bean burger kind of a little bit. Yeah. yeah and yeah. it was almost the other side of that coin of, um, cause as you said, like you have the, the feeling, which I totally understand that sort of that phoned in vegetarian options can give you maybe some insight into how much the place even cares in the first place mm-hmm. where this was the opposite of that. Then there was all this, this in, again, which is a running theme we'll have throughout this conversation, incorporation of ingredients that were either byproducts or used in something else that you're already making for this kind of, uh, which I think is almost the biggest thing that I've taken away from how, how you operate. And also I will get into this later, but how you've, uh, part, a big part of why you've enabled the kitchen to be profitable in the first place, which Mm -hmm. is a feat in and of itself. Um, but, um, to talk about that, uh, chump change specifically, what is that? So chump change is basically we 
go into it with the idea that if we weren't cooking this vegetarian uh, vegetarian item, this is how we'd be cooking if we were going to roast a chicken. We'd mm-hmm. start off with celery, carrots, uh, onion, cook them down, then add water, garlic, herbs um, to make a stock to basically get ready to roast a chicken, right? Yep. Um, obviously, this past couple years has has triggered some things of you know people overeating chicken, overeating ground beef. Um, made chicken extremely expensive, mm-hmm. as well as we had an avian flu outbreak. Um, I think like, I don't know the exact math on it, but I think like two thirds of the U.S.'s chicken had to be slaughtered because of avian flu. It's like, we literally just got over a pandemic. Why do you wow. want to bring avian flu into it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've read Bird a, COVID. <laughs> right, right <laughs> after COVID. And it's like, that is a product of people you know, one of the things that people hoarded was chicken, like chick boneless chicken breasts. So you have this. I bet those same people hoarded toilet paper. Oh, same. Say exactly. It. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, you think about that a little bit and it's like, well, we did that to ourselves and you have a lot of people very angry at, you know, say like Purdue or Tyson or one of these massive chicken producers that they had to do this thing. And it's like, they're forced by the government to first off, it wasn't a choice. Um, but to me, it's like, well, for, uh, first of all, I'll take a side note. So I do visit farms every week. Um, so you get a, a real insight from a direct farmer of like things that the choices they have to make every single day. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, that makes sense. Or like maybe it's something didn't happen on their farm directly, but something happened on the farm next door that they buy their hay from or that they buy their whatever from that mm. is a big part of their their ecosystem. So you start to learn a little bit of like everything – working in symbiosis with each other is is really important that even though it's not happening on my farm if other farms aren't successful i'm probably not as successful either mm-hmm. um so mm-hmm. learning those little things makes me think about it a little bit and it's like well what does a chicken eat corn so if two-thirds of the chicken population or chicken production in the country is down i got to think that people that grow corn to make chicken feed got to be feeling that like mm-hmm that just makes sense. Like how, how could it not? Yeah. So I'm like, well, if we can be humble, if we can eat that, what the chicken would have eaten, if we can use something, uh, which is masa, mm-hmm. which um, we use to basically make a tamale filling is really what this chicken sandwich is at the end of the day. Um, well, that would be like replacing what the chicken would have been eating. Right. And what that farmer would have been and able what to that sell. farmer would have been selling. Yeah. So it's like, you know, we can sit around and complain that we're paying a ridiculous price for chicken or, we can fill that void, help that farmer out, and then hopefully years to come. I mean, obviously, this is a very small, small drop in the hat. But like, if we can inspire that with other people thinking like, oh, well, I can be angry that I'm out of – that you go to a restaurant, they're out of X, Y, and Z, and I can't get it. Or you could just be like, huh, why are they out of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a big – it's so, so much of a bigger thing. And I'm sure you guys run into that with beer too. Like certain hops may be not available one year because of a bad harvest, certain grain. Um, yep. But, you know, you – I can't just brew the beer with what the hop would have eaten, though. That's, well, that's the, true, that's the interesting part, though. But you know, and the, it the brings a whole know, other right? layer into it. Totally, a um, thousand percent. So yeah, that that interest of you know closer than I've ever been with. I've always had an interest in farming and, mm-hmm. and what goes into it, why we do the things we do, just agriculture in general. Um, so kind of this this weekly thing that I do, where I visit farms and I get to talk directly to the owners. Um, just kind of opened my mind up of like, well, how can we, how can we represent them well without just doing the cliche 
we buy local and we do this. And cause a lot of, a lot of restaurants do, they really ride on that, but it's like, you know, whatever food, uh, food supplier they order from has pretty much done that work for them. And some of them never actually stepped foot on the farm or maybe yeah. they did for a day to take photos or whatever. Um, that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, um, so to me that, that dish was, was certainly one to, to push that, that story, push the envelope and, and show people that like you can do things, um, within a certain confine of that and make something that's still pretty, I think it's pretty delicious. Same, um, same true, truly. And it, it just different than right, unique first right. and foremost. And that certainly, um, if I kind of look back at the way I kind of got into cooking and the way that I always tried to stand out, it was always kind of doing the thing that nobody else was doing. Or I, even if it was like not good, it was like, well, I, I still want to try and do like, I don't want to do the thing that everybody else is doing. I want to kind of set my own path, be a little unique and find comfort there. Um, so that certainly follows that same, same path. Yeah, totally. And one thing, one thing I see from you that has been the most exciting for me is when you talk about that way of thinking when you said the part of like being at a restaurant, why are they out of this? Or just kind of getting that that level deeper. Um, and one thing I've been noticing otherwise that you spoke of there, I think your big takeaway from being more hands-on and having a closer proximity to the food source and visiting these farmers is the connectivity connectivity of everything. And I think that's this kind of macro thing that you look at COVID, you look at supply chains, you look at kind of everything. Like in a in a world that went through as much globalization as this has in the last decade, there's a connectivity to everything that relies on other things. And when it comes to food and, and nature and thinking, that's my exposure to you is kind of bumped that the most. Um, and I don't I don't think there's a better example of that than your succotash dish. Um, it brings in this level of of um, agriculture connectivity, and it also kind of pays homage uh, to your Native American culture and kind of puts those things together that from from my perspective kind of really frame, like Noah saying he's beginning to learn that like your approach to everything yeah. in that quest to be different. Um, can you talk about the succotash dish um, specifically to kind of tell that story and as a side, literally whenever it gets ordered, there's almost like a, a clap at the bar or whatever. Like, Oh, chef, chef is going to love you. Like yeah, yeah. chef loves to make that. You know what I mean? Yeah. We, um, it's, it's my favorite thing to get off at the register. Yeah. yeah. Um, talk about that dish. What is three sisters succotash? So three sisters is a play on the three sisters growing technique, which is uh, corn beans and squash. So back, uh, you know, since the beginning of, of our people, um, growing, growing certain ingredients together made sense. You know, you, you grow, you put squash in the ground, you put corn stalks up. Those corn stalks are now a, a way for a bean vine to climb because yeah. they need something like that. Um, and then that squash is also giving nutrients and nitrogen to the soil, which then helps the corn. It also, because it's taking up so much space, so much of that nutrients, it's a great way to deter weeds. Cause there's not really that much for them to grab a hold of. Um, it's been practiced for years upon years. Um, they're all obviously something that about this time of year, this is when, I mean, you could be harvesting the beans throughout the year generally, but this time of year is when you would really, this is about the end of your harvest. Mm -hmm. We're getting into the cold months. 
This is when you would store those for the year as well as uh, maybe dry the beans or dry the corn. Um, but I got to think that the reason that this dish has always stayed in tradition is like when something is processed, harvest all at the same time, that day you're harvesting, like, what are you going to eat? Well, probably what's in your pocket, literally. Yeah. Um, so that's why we cook them all together. That's why uh, they certainly go together. From um, a flavor from standpoint. From a flavor standpoint. Yeah. Um, and then the fact that we put a poached duck egg on it is also to play homage to basically every ingredient that sits on that plate was here long before Columbus ever showed up. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a very, very traditional um, – it's plated in a very modern way. It's, it's cooked in a very modern way, but I got to think that, you know, a thousand years ago, it probably wasn't that much different because it's the literal ingredients that were there. Um, they probably didn't put the vinegar in and do the spin when they did the poach, but otherwise, well, no spin, of course, <laughs> never, never spin. However, uh, interesting side note back then, um, vinegar. So, uh, there weren't a ton of vinegars. However, maple syrup, if you, as a tree is getting the last of its maple, uh -huh. um, it, it is getting more sour because there's less and less sugar. Mm -hmm. So a lot of tribes would keep that and use that to ferment things uh. as a process standpoint, as well as there were certain greens, I think, that at the time weren't really digestible. So that's the kinds of things that they would dress in that same vinegar yeah, yeah, yeah. just to be able to digest it and the fermentation process would help. So, I mean, that's... People, we, the iron guts people were uh, <laughs> Think about it before we started making fire and shit, the shit we were eating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, these are processes. Huge jaws and massive stomachs <laughs> and no brain up there. Just digesting food all day long. But yeah, I mean, these are the processes that, from what I know, from what I've researched, um, that existed. Obviously, there's a long ways to go in really learning that. Um, us not really having a written language at that time. Obviously our history is like a hard thing to really track back. You know, like, you know, like mm. most, most people, most nationalities have a certain amount of history when, you know, either their country prospered and they had times to write books or. Um, and monks dedicated to just writing this shit down right, every or, day, all day. To or like, think it. of like tapestries. Think of like all these yep. things that hold a, a huge chunk of history that when you look at it, it's like, oh, well that's pretty simple. But then when you really, if that didn't exist, like, yeah, you know, we were talking about the monarchy earlier, like, you know, if that wasn't a tapestry literally laid out for you, like that would be hard to understand what that actually means. Like, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, getting, getting back to some of that stuff, learning a lot about it and kind of looking at it at a very practical standpoint of like, well, that makes sense. Cause that was what was here. Yeah. Um, work with it. Whatever you come up with is probably damn close to what they would have come up with. Cause if that's all you're working with, like there's only so many possibilities. Yeah. Um, how much of that drives your, your cooking kind of drive energy and ambitions as related to uh, your, your culture and yeah. what has been remembered and what hasn't and all of those things? Certainly, certainly a good chunk of it. Um, I definitely, as you learn about it and as you figure it out, it like agriculture, I think can explain a lot of different cultures, um, of why, you know, why would you go across the ocean? Well, because the country that you're in is in despair, right? Um, certainly, if you look at the world and the way it's shaped and the way powers have gone, the spice trade controlled so much of that, you mm -hmm. know? And then modern days, oil controlled a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Steel 
you know, mining controlled a lot of it's that. It's so crazy mm-hmm. they switched spices for oil. Yeah. Like, like yeah, saffron's same, replaced yeah, it's with the same, oil. But it's the same race. Totally. It's the same dominance. Totally. It's to be same, precious metals. Yes. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so it's we've seen the same same thing play out many, many times over world history. Um, obviously, you can you can kind of compare our story to other groups of people's story. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to learn there. I certainly, as far as a culinary standpoint, I definitely, you know, in the last couple of years, a lot of a lot of direction has gone towards that. This year's James Beard winner was a uh, native chef. Um, native restaurant Owamni in Minnesota that certainly piques my interest is like oh well people will look at it as as they look at like high-end Italian high-end French Mm -hmm. you know all these foods that we've Mm. looked at for the last hundred years as being the greatest in the world um there's certainly a drive there uh but at the same time I I have a hard time of like only doing native like that expectation on myself is like Eh, I would, I don't want to be pigeonholed. Like Mm -hmm. if I'm, if I'm to accomplish the things that I want to accomplish, then I just want to be great at cooking in general. Mm -hmm. Um, certainly bring native food along with that. That's, that's what I've really found a comfort in. And obviously it's just a natural thing. Um, some of these things that, that we talk about, like I grew up eating, grew up cooking, see many of my family members still cooking it today. Um, yeah. So much like others, I um, up you, we talked about a bunch of things within the kitchen. Your your ability to reuse things, your kind of cultural background, and letting a little bit of that shine, and how lean you have been in the kitchen, and that it's two guys, and that's kind of something that needed to happen here to make that work. Yeah. Frankly, it's why as this got going in my mind, it was like Joe, Joe, Joe knowing your your ability at that but to to kind of put all the, that together with what you just said um about native american and james beard award winning and some of that stuff pretty you've been you were recognized recently by the bdn which is it's a local newspaper but for this kind of area it's the biggest yeah you know it's like the biggest media thing that we have here in this little town of 30,000 um, I mean, it's the biggest paper in like two thirds of Maine, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it, I mean, like the Portland Press Herald is the only thing that really competes with it, right? A hundred percent. So yeah, second biggest. I delivered pa- that shit. So do not <laughs> shit on the BDN. Second, second biggest paper in Maine. Just trying to put it in context. <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, I wanted you to kind of get your feedback on on digesting that because for me, there was a bit of there was a bit of two things like knowing what you've done and how much you deserve that kind of recognition, but then also seeing that that article be so laden with like Native American chef with Native American dishes and and kind of had the feel of like, well, it doesn't look like they've even been here to eat the food or do any of that, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? And at this time, like we have two or three dishes of that in that realm on this menu. Um, how did you kind of digest all of that, that article itself and being recognized for your work? Um, well, first I do want to give a little credit to Mr. Kyle Powell because he is the other half of the kitchen. Hell Shout yeah. Out. Um, certainly. Great on the bottling line too. He Absolutely. Fantastic. Um, so it's, it's not all me. However, um, the menu is very much, uh, my, you know, I've, I've been doing this for the last decade. So everything on the menu is very much what I've done, taken from, learned. Mm. Um, so with that, it's like, yeah, uh, I get a lot of credit for it, obviously, um, developing it and all that. 
the as far as it comes to the native stuff um as you as you talk about these things like say like italian food if mm-hmm. italian food didn't wasn't successful in america right mm-hmm. it's not that big a deal because we still have italy that's mm-hmm. creating it and pushing it and until italy's gone there will always be italian food they just had a big election we'll see what happens well <laughs> pizza's still pretty much <laughs> yeah. king i i, I yeah. think they're pretty safe for a while uh, Chef Boyardee is pretty dominant as well. <laughs> That's not going anywhere. One, one of my favorites. Uh, <laughs> so with that, you think about it. It's like, okay, if Native American food doesn't start getting cooked and put in restaurants, what happens? Uh-huh. Well, it completely disappears yeah. because there's no other place in the world where it's going to be cooked. Um, that's Until why... some white guy later on can revive it, be like, "Oh, archaeological <laughs> footage of this yeah. stuff." Yeah, yeah. Well, that guy will get canceled real quick. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's there is a, a a big responsibility on my part to to do it right. Um, there is certainly, um, you know, we just visited the bison farm out yeah. in Eustis. Uh, shout out to Mike and Nicole Weaver. Mm-hmm. Um, that to me is like that's really the the bigger importance is getting the farming the agriculture all that stuff um up and going because i mean there's only so much native food you can cook if you don't have the right ingredients like Mm -hmm. you know we do navajo tacos a lot of people will get really upset that we're doing that because it is not traditionally a native food it is traditionally from like 1800 to now because when we got forced onto reservations we started cooking with what we had, which would be government commodity foods. Mm. Um, to me, it's like, well, you know, there's there's certainly restaurants that are that are pre-colonialism. This is what we do. That's great. That's an awesome story to tell. That's um, much easier in the West, where some of these ingredients in the tribes are bigger. The traditions are still much stronger. Um, being in an Eastern tribe, we obviously been under European influence for much longer. Mm. So we got to work with what we have. Um, you know, you could be angry at fry bread or be angry at Indian tacos, or you could say, you know what? My grandparents survived off from this. Yeah. I wouldn't be here without it. Yeah. So there's a, you know, there's, there's two stories to tell there. Yeah. And I think it's important that you, you think about like the wise versus just, well, you shouldn't do that. That should be, you know, that should be X from your diet. Like that's not realistic. First off. I mean, yeah. there's, a hundred things a day that we all eat that we know that probably aren't great for us or probably you're not going in your hand. Right. Right. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah, so do I. Hey. <laughs> I have few addictions, yeah. but if, yeah. if, if Red Bull takes me down, well, just yeah. one second, I got to grab this glass of water. Uh, oh my <laughs> God, dude, you might be wanting wings this Sunday, dude. You might wish you, you were given wings. That's right. It was a Red Bull yeah. reference. Yeah. Um, but I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's very much, um, it's a, no, no pun intended. It's a bun, a drum I will always pound on as far as the knowledge of native food, mm-hmm. um, and culture. And it's kind of cool lately to see that it's, you know, like I just said, they, they won a James Beard award this year. Um, have you ne- ever been to that place? I have not yet. Um, it's actually, it's been open less than a year. Okay. Yeah. So to win a James Beard award and be open less than a year and be, a very niche thing that people are not used to eating Absolutely. is a monster of accomplishment. Um, maybe we can get you, maybe there's a beer fest in Minnesota we can get to and double maybe, down. Maybe on we that. start one right now. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we, we certainly, 
have an uphill climb for that. Um, it is cool to see that there's way more of a culture um, in mainstream right now. You know, there's a couple of TV shows that really feature reservation life. Um, there's, I think, a Netflix documentary that won a James Beard Award as well uh, called Gather. That that's a lot of the stuff we're talking about with Bison. That It really covers a lot of that as well as like um, there's a guy that basically flips a gas station that was on his reservation. It's now like a extremely, extremely respected restaurant. I think it's called Cafe Gojo. Um, it's just showing that that very much is possible. Mm -hmm. Like I think even 10 years ago, anybody that was native cooking in a restaurant, probably like fine dining or French or, or whatever would be like, my food's never getting to this. Mm -hmm. You know, they go to a powwow and eat our food and it's like, it won't be appreciated in that way. It's always going to be a fun thing that people eat that is like a novelty, but it's not. Um, but what's going on now is like, oh, it's it's to be taken seriously. And that's my big goal. And that Incredible. must just be like, as you, as you explained the context of that, uh, and that is, I'm, it makes me reflect a little bit about it. Like, yeah, I couldn't, before honestly meeting you, I'm not even sure I could pick out any native like specifically native dish yeah um so it's been super fun to learn but also from your someone that's been on that at least had that uh of course you've had that on your mind for a while that's what you that's what you are yeah um it must be vin vindicating or at least exciting to see start to see glimpses of yeah, uh these things sort of come into the italian analogies that's so good. That yeah, makes, yeah. That, that, that I think cements exactly what you're saying to me. From my experience of you, you've always been um, like award driven, but not in the not in like the wrong way. But it war like, award. Oh, like oh, oh. it's been no secret <laughs> to me from like the day of meeting you that you want to be an award winning chef and that your yes. aspirations as a chef are are. Almost what maybe at that time five years ago you could call like, um, what's the like almost unrealistic. You know what I mean? But but the, the absolutely bar, delirious. The bar <laughs> the bar has been set incredibly high. Yeah. Um, and then to to be here and and talk about kind of the the big fucking monologue I I gave about watching you as like a leader and manager and and kind of being not blown away, but being inspired by it to, to see your growth. And now I sit in a place where it's like, he absolutely can achieve this. And, um, but I want to get into kind of the, the whole arc of your entire life and entire time. I think one thing that I've taken away from that, especially as someone who's kind of self-conscious about this thing, ADHD, I've got a lot of different, um, I've got a lot of different excitements and passions, and sometimes they move around. You're responsive. And sometimes <laughs> you have been as singularly focused on a single thing for as long a period of time as as almost anybody I've met. I, I sit across from another person who's been on the same thing since finding it for for over a decade now. Um, I want to get into some of the nuance of that and what that allows you to do, the pros and cons of that. But to start that, what when did you start cooking, fall in love with cooking? And what is the what is the early the early stuff of how you kind of found yourself on this lifelong path of I want to be a James Beard or Michelin award chef? Um, well, it's it's a bit of a sad 
story a little bit, but um, obviously comes out very positive. So when I was 10, um, I lost a brother. Um, <laughs> sorry, guys. No. Fuck it. Uh, give me a minute. Take, yeah, take all no. the time you need. It's weird. I talk about this all the time, but... Uh, just know you it's are. Cra- it's crazy yeah. when things can yeah. get you and you're not expecting it. No. Just know you are right. I am responsive and I might cry too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, um, yeah, I lost a brother. Um, it was basically, it was, it was my, t- my, I'm a, I'm the middle child. So my, I've got an older brother, a younger sister. Um, this instance was my mother was carrying, uh, it was probably like, I think a week until my brother was expected to be born. Mm-hmm. So this was kind of my time to be the big brother, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure you can attest to like being the younger brother all the time, being competitive with your older brother, um, the kinds of things that that shapes your personality, pushes you. But uh, <clears throat> so when when my mother miscarried, it was a big um, – big uh void in my parents life for sure um doing um or being 10 was like oh well i gotta grow up real quick i gotta not be the burden on my parents because now i've seen that like they're uh they're human too like they you know 10 years old you think your parents are like invincible they they make decisions things happen when they make those decisions and they have control yep Uh, i think at 10 you're like oh they don't control the world and it's like oh well i you know i had this like not really not pressure from the family but definitely pressure for myself of like oh well you got to grow up because the control the how things the plan um, has changed right right yeah Um, so cooking was definitely something I could do that like a made me less of a burden on whoever, as well as like, uh, certainly a stress reliever that Mm -hmm. I found really like, oh, well, this is fun. You, you, you get something out of it instantly. Right. Yeah. Um, So yeah, it was, it was that path of like, I'm going to start taking care of myself. This is a small thing I can do to help my parents, help my family. Um, Certainly, you know, those years until my sister was born was were, were rough in the ways of like, you know, I wouldn't say depression driven, but certainly my my parents were different people than to me in my eyes, you know. Um, so there's always like this as I grow, as I uh, as I cook more and more, it's like, oh, well, me continuing this path is like the love letter my parents of like. I'll be, uh, I'll be somewhat, um, (laughs) sorry guys. Um, you don't have to worry about taking care of me. I'll take care of me. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, not to get too, too emotional about it. Um, it's, uh, it's comforting. It's healing. Every time you cook, it's like, it's doing that same thing that was so positive. Um, as I, as I started cooking professionally, like really getting into um, my first job was literally I walked into a place with some meat pies, literally at a, at a, at a golf course and was like, 
Because uh, well, at this check time, out these fucking meat pies. They're amazing. Um, yeah, like literally. How old? Uh, I was twenty. So you're an adult. Yes. Oh, okay. I yeah, didn't know no. if you were still like a teenager. Um, yeah. Gotcha. Like, well, so I'll I'll rewind a little bit. So like, I graduate high school. Um, I meet my wife right out of the gate. Um, she we we got a house together. I was working multiple jobs at the time, um, but always loved cooking. Like that was when I got home from like my work. Like that was the stress reliever. That was the mm-hmm. the thing I could do that. Certainly most young 20 year olds weren't doing. Um, and I just would, I would see people doing it and be like, I could do that professionally if I wanted to. But then I would look at like the pay and be like, the hell with that. Like that ain't, <laughs> ain't worth my time. That ain't it. Um, but it, it just kept growing and growing. And like, I want to do this and do it well. Um, so you, you, um, yeah. So I walk into this restaurant with, with meat, meat pies, pies and I say, look, I, <laughs> Nothing on my resume says anything about cooking, but I can cook. And um, the guy tried them. He's like, "Do you want to? Do you want to work tomorrow night?" And I'm like, "Damn yeah, good meat yeah. pies, absolutely." Did he try them um, in front of you? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, for some background, the guy ran the pub within this golf course, but then also all day worked on the course, like cutting the grass, doing uh-huh. all those things. And I didn't know him. I knew of him. I didn't know him well, but I knew like, oh, well, this guy will be hungry. So, <laughs> you know, so common sense, man. So, so I walk in. You know, I, I do that, which uh, was a double edged sword because instantly I'm I'm cooking with this guy. Um, obviously, another two man kitchen. Yeah, uh, <laughs> just pumping out food in in a really unrealistic way that that this kitchen worked um kind of prepared me to be like oh this is the way it is mm-hmm. so then uh you know i worked a summer with him i was allowed to put a special on every week which is another thing that does not happen uh in this industry if you have any um any time in a kitchen at all you know that like you start as a dishwasher you work your way up unless you come in with meat a- pies that are amazing <laughs> or or a culinary degree which i yeah. did not have uh and i still don't and i do you have a chip on your shoulder about that? Do you oh, think the culinary sure. degree? For sure. I mainly because I've met so many people that do and their work ethic is so low that I I I lose respect for them. I'm sure there's plenty of people that have them obviously and, and work as hard or harder than I do. Um I just in rural Maine, I'm reluctant to actually meet one, so mm-hmm. Until then, I'll I'll keep the chip. Keep the chip, man. It ain't. <laughs> I also I also was you know grew up in Old Town, Maine, which I think if anybody that's been there knows that you kind of carry a chip no matter what. Um, yeah, I'm a chip purveyor as well. So yeah, <laughs> I relate. Uh, and you know, being a younger brother, certainly you're always yeah. trying to prove yourself. Um, that kind of thing. So yeah, fast forward to when I when I meet Matt, uh, cooking up the family dog, and I have no power over the menu. Uh, there's a big part of me that hates the menu. <laughs> I'm like, why the hell did I show up to cook here? Um, no disrespect to it at all. At all. It, it is what it is. Uh, it's just, I saw myself as something, somebody who could accomplish much more in a kitchen at that point. Mm-hmm. And whether that's delirious or not, like that's the way I viewed myself. And that's, I care myself, I think fairly professional for the most part when it came to kitchen stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that goes back to like sports. I always... When I when I was really 
at my time in athletics, it was like, if you're going to do this, like, don't stop here, keep going to that next level. Um, Obviously, I didn't make it to any high level of sports, but uh, very, very, very few people do. <laughs> the math right. on that is not <laughs> yeah. your The math on that's worse than restaurant money. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. far well, worse. That's tough math. But you know that competitive like energy is is sports is very much where that comes from. Um, you know, especially growing up on a reservation like that. That culture is very much that way. It's it is very much sink or swim. Um especially in sports over there. Like I used to tell people a lot, like playing in a tribal basketball tournament versus playing on one on the other side of the bridge is night and day. Just real quick, not to derail you, but can you explain the sentence you just said in terms of where you grew up, what that is and why you say that? (laughs) Uh, So I grew up in, on uh, Penobscot Nation, which is an island on the Penobscot River. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a singular bridge that's on and off. Mm-hmm. Um, so people from Old Town, which I'm starting to learn, the more and more I get older, references and things I say are so niche to Old Town that I realize, oh, nobody knows what the hell I'm talking about because you you find it so common there. It's um, crazy because I was talking a little bit with Matt um, just about this last mm-hmm. night. And even growing up in Milo, um, I knew Penobscot Nation was there, but like, yeah, I barely knew anything about Old Town, much less about this island that has this this yeah. in deeply rich culture. And um, so, yeah, to just to your just wanted to back up that point. And name that saying. Noah's avoiding saying. <laughs> oh, what? <I'd>, <laughs> no, no, I, maybe that was the wrong place to go. No, no, uh, that's fine. Um, actually, I was making just because he hadn't said, I thought maybe the name had changed. That's what I. Well, I, in, I that, always knew it as Indian Island. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, okay. I wanted to touch on that. That's all I was <laughs> saying. Okay. Of course, still, was that people it's call still it very Indian much Island. Indian Island. Um, officially on paper or Penobscot Nation. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally have my own thoughts on the whole mascot, Indian, Native American, however you want to reference it. Um, what are those thoughts? Well, I, you're talking about like a Cleveland Indians. Or yeah, like yeah, a, like all those things. Well, Cleveland Indians for one is is literally because of a Penobscot man that played baseball, or the first Penobscot to play baseball in the major leagues. So that like, guy was Penobscot. Yeah, I didn't. I knew. Sox- I knew. Sox- Alexis. Yeah. The wow. Whole, I, yeah. Man, I'm. I'm his I his whole uh, claim to fame was that he could throw a ball over the river, um, which. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't there. Back in the- it's a wide river. <laughs> it is a wide it river. It is a wide and river. I mean, if you can throw a ball over a river, you probably belong in the major leagues. Um, but you know, my my take on it's always been, I, I have an understanding. The people that are very, very much like we don't want these caricatures, we don't want these um, representations of us. I do understand, mm-hmm. especially when you get to a level where like you're going to say like Washington D.C. and you want to be taken seriously, and you have these issues that you really want people to care about. Yeah, I get it. Like there's a a level of professionalism that you would like to carry yourself in. And sometimes those things, those images just be like, they're, they take you down a notch in some way. I, and I understand that. However, I think there's sometimes bigger fish to fry than there is to change a bunch of names and worry about like those (laughs) types of things at, at times. Um, I mean, there's, there's reservations that don't have clean drinking water. There's reservations that have like zero plumbing mm-hmm. and you're worried about being called a name. Like, I don't know. I, and not to like 
down to like talk down anybody that that's their their purpose or their their goal is to get those names changed because i think at the end of the day their heart's in the right place Mm -hmm. do you almost think about it as excuse me for jumping in but as someone who thinks about these things somewhat do you think about it as a matter of effectiveness right exactly i i think there's only so many of us left that are actually tribally affiliated and have tribal heritage our time you know our clock is not not vast in any way we the bigger issues i think need to be dealt with first before we just go worrying about these i'm sorry uh smaller ones Mm -hmm. um you know i was one of the last indians to wear an indian's jersey at old old town they're now the coyotes um my sister just graduated uh, last year from orno but you got to think like her generation doesn't know there's a reservation in old town maine because they've known you know the way you know a lot of things about an area especially with sports you travel to it and sometimes their mascot says something about their town mm-hmm. like yeah her whole generation has gone to old town many times and probably has never thought that there's an indian reservation there mm-hmm. but yet you have the biggest canoe company must in the be world. coyotes here i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah you got the biggest canoe company in the world that sits there mainly because of our prototype of a boat mm-hmm. but we don't get any real credit for that but if you think about it like geographically that's what's there yeah and uh when you take something away you literally wiped yourself off the map in in a way um so yeah i mean i do think you sorry to jump in yeah, I, I i love wait you lose the ability to retell history the right way. Right. So I right. think about it a lot with like these Confederate statues and, and all these different things. The idea to go tear them down and replace it loses the opportunity as to like, I believe that I wasn't told a good version of history in my in school. I believe that most, you know, history yeah. has been whitewashed. Just uh, so changing, taking that statue down and getting rid of it loses the opportunity to properly retell that story and almost the, the the closest best way you can rectify that wrong. So like you're saying to maybe it's less effective if the Cleveland Indians become the Cleveland commanders right. than it is to know who Sock Alexis was, where that came from, and give that history its final proper due. And in the best example, um and on um, Penobscot Nation, Indian Island, as it's been called ever since I've been here and how I've heard of it, to instead of changing that from, to the coyotes from the Indians, to put efforts and resources that should be due to use that name into telling the story of paddling Old Count Canoe and that that history being told the right way is just how, how I've been thinking about those things a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know much about it, but it seems like... Um... Is it USF or UCF? The Seminoles in in uh, yeah the the college sports team. Yeah. Um, I was just heard someone talking about it not too long ago, and I guess they it's a full kind of it, it. What I heard was that it was a full endorsement by the tribe, yeah, and that there's actually you know college sports generate a fuck ton of money on that level, mm-hmm. and I think. Um, I don't. I don't want to speak as like that's the perfect example because I know, don't know much about sure. it. But from what I heard, it seemed like that was a better archetype of what could kind of be yeah. be a model for that sort of thing. I agree a, th- a thousand percent from yeah, just like the gut test. Like, uh-huh. you know, but that's what feels right. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I think I, sometimes it's uh it's like the lack of control that some that angers some people. Like I mean, how many signs just in the area say Penobscot on it that have yeah. nothing to do with tribe at all? But yeah. because it's in Penobscot County, it's okay to use. Um, you know, some people feel a certain way about that. Um, but again, it's it's giving people like when you see these strange names around Maine of like, why is it called that? You know, Piscataquis being yeah, one. Yeah, probably half the counties in, Na- in Maine are yeah. named after yeah. tribes. Right. Tribes or, or tribal things. Um, Katahdin. I mean. Yep. People name their dog after that. Right. Yeah, right. dude. Assholes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, it's not a, it's not a negative thing in any way, I, I don't believe. Mm-hmm. In, in the My more dad those... used to get pissed that people would say Mount Katahdin. Because it's I, highest mountain, I, so it's Mount Highest Mountain, basically. Right. I I argued. Uh, Joe gets pissed. I argued with an English teacher in high school because I didn't do the the little MTM after, <laughs> and I think she might have failed me because of it. Because I'm like, well, you it, in uh, Spanish, you wouldn't say thank you, gracias. Why would yeah. you? And she just did not like me in any way. But <laughs> most English teachers didn't. Uh, but yeah, it's to me, it's like the more of those names that we have in, in the mainstream and in, in the ready to see, like that's that less that we'll forget. That's that much more that we'll start to look into is like, cause if you take that name away, it's like, I'm never going to look into what that means or why it was named. Mm, that. Yeah. And I think that's um, the point Yeah, Can, to it, kind of where you're, what you have coming up to kind of walk that walk um, in terms of school curriculum um, and this project that, that, found out about over the last month or so, but I think kind of encapsulates all of this using those wrongs as kind of teachable opportunities instead of trying to make them go away. Um, talk about what you have coming up and, and how, how that excites you. Uh, yeah. So I've been approached, um, to do some filming, some documentary filming on just native cooking or just being a native person in general and doing, um, maybe a less likely career path. Um, but it's part of the school curriculum to start learning with Wabanaki studies about, uh, just our culture in general. So having a food element to that documentary is pretty important to them. Um, hasn't been filmed yet, but we're in the, the planning process. Um, so that'll be shown to, I believe, uh, some of the younger, like K through, uh, K through three or K through four, maybe, um, but you know, it's, that's the building block. You start that at that level and then it becomes that much more important. Then it goes to a higher level. Um, most colleges I think in the area will have like a native studies course or, Mm -hmm. or part of a curriculum, but obviously getting a lot of this stuff to that level is really what will push the envelope and make it not more respected, but more like legitimate to, to go and learn and make that a part of like regular education. Totally. And is, is that a, that's essentially like a pilot program? It sounds like it. I, I don't have a ton of the details worked out yet. And because of these things being on the smaller end at the moment, I think obviously, you know, funding, um, all that stuff comes into play mm-hmm. and all that stuff's being worked out as we speak. Do you know what school district? Uh, Portland mm. is what I think will be the catalyst. Um, I'm guessing that's probably the bigger school district. So like if it works there, then they'll implement it in, in other, other ones, other ones. Mm. So. Super cool. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I'm sure you have a lot of prep to do today as uh, your work ethic's probably just internally like, what the fuck? Let me work right now. Um, but seriously, man, this was, I, it, despite how much I have talked to you, just really contextualized even more of what your fire is and, you yeah. know, where, where, where your perspective's coming from. And um, it's, it's fucking great in, mm. in, a, in simple terms. And it makes me really double down on being excited about um what we have going down here and uh, what you and kyle you. are doing um and but, kyle um but uh gotta keep it light gotta keep it three bay um i know you kind of alluded to it earlier um you are a big fan of the show res dogs or reservation dogs <laughs> yeah so i'm gonna give you three characters from that show and you can pick any items from Either the summer menu or fall menu. I don't really yep. care. Any items you've cooked while you've been here to serve to these. So let's go. Okay. Let's go Bear, kind of the main character of the show. Yep. Um, let's go Willie Jack, probably the best character in the show. <laughs> and uh, let's go. A, I'll kind of do a two for one wild card because they sort of act as the same person. Those those two like weird rapping brothers that always ride on the bikes. <laughs> uh, I don't know their names. I'm sorry to besmirch yeah. them. Uh, I forget their names too, but they're actual, they're legitimate rappers, by the way. Um, I they would, have charisma out the oh, ear. Yeah. So that's yeah. not surprising to me. And, and that's it. As a side note, like that show is um, probably the realest, like true representation of like what res life really is. Um, mainly because it's actual natives, so they're just literally not acting. They're being themselves. Yeah. Um, but, like, the way they use humor, the way that it's very – it's it's kind of cool to see. Um, it definitely made me aware of, like, things like, oh, well, that's why it's funny to me, but it's never been funny to anybody uh -huh. around me. Um, but, yeah. So. I listened to – I won't d divert this too much, but I – with uh, Sterling Harjo, who is the, um, the creator of that show yep. – um, I listened to a Mark Marin. I had already been watching the show um, and was liking it, but he went on the Mark Marin podcast and it was like one of the best just conversations I'd heard. I'd learned so much about exactly what you're talking yeah. about. It really contextualized the show and just gave, yeah, it was, it was just great. Then I pretty much watched everything else I could that he had his hands on. And, um, but anyway, uh, yeah, awesome show if you've not seen it. All right. Uh, I would say the twins there, they, it's definitely, they're Navajo tacos. I mean, there's, there's two of them there. It's <laughs> as easy as it can be. They're, they're fun. They're greasy. They're ready to go. Um, Willie Jack. Uh, I would say, I would say any of our, uh, any of our barbecue dishes. She was uh, a few episodes. She was very big on cooking backstrap from a deer. Which is oh yeah yeah. Um, so I got to think that she's a, a big time meat yeah. meat eater. Um, bear, um, uh, because he's so emotional and so kind of neurotic, I would say anytime we rotate and we, we flip the switch and do a new menu item, that's, that's bear. He's getting the secret nachos. He's getting, yeah. He's getting, he's getting whatever we come up with that week and he's flavor of the week. That's, that's a fantastic answer, man. Wow. Well done. Um, well, Joe Robbins, thank you so much for being here, man. Um, Incredible. As much as yeah, as much time as we do spend together, this this uh, this was special. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you. I'm in the mood to be slow and careful.